Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. going to try this format again. I told Brother Mason right before service, it seemed, and I even uh, said to a different people, my wife and probably Bishop, uh, that people seemed a little bit more focused. They seemed a little bit more focused. I don't know if it's because I, we crowded you together over here that you're more focused, so you can't get by with doing what you'd do if someone was sitting five feet away from you. But uh, regardless, it seemed just to be just a little bit more focused. And so we're going to try this again. And then again, it just might have been all the planets were just right and it just happened and I'm totally wrong. Uh, but uh, I guess this will be the proving of all that. Amen. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter number 1, we begin with verse uh, number 7 this evening. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. I, I, I aspire not to be as long as I was, though, last week. Amen. Uh, but it wasn't as long as what I thought. It was only like an hour and five minutes, so that wasn't too bad. Not too bad at all. Yeah, we, we, had, we did have a good time. We had a good time. Ephesians 1, uh, starting with verse number 7. The Bible says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Does anybody didn't bring their Bible tonight? Just happen to wonder about that. <clears throat> Having made known... <laughs> I understand you came from work. <laughs> he don't look like the cat that swallowed the canary when I looked. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye have, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory for a little while here this evening I want to teach along these lines and that is fringe benefits fringe benefits because we kind of concluded last week talking about the riches aspect uh, of Ephesians literal uh, riches, but we're talking about then the spiritual riches of the Ephesian church. I'm sure Bishop had one to spare. And, uh, and so we want to try to pick up in that vein. Amen. Tonight, let's pray that God would help us. Lord, we love you. We appreciate you this evening. God, we're thankful, Lord, for another opportunity to be in your house, God, with uh, your people. God, we gather together to center our lives around about your word tonight. God, we know we can glean strength from that instruction, direction. God, it can be, Lord Jesus, God, just practical, Lord, things for the use of our everyday lives. I pray, oh, Lord, that you would help us, God, help our understanding and our minds, God, to grasp, Lord, what you may be saying to us, Lord, through this book, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen, amen. Everyone say amen. Amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to try to just recap a little bit. How many was not here last week? Was not here? Quite a few hands, actually. That was not here. There is no way that we can probably do justice of what uh, took place last week. But uh, we'll try to recap very quickly, all right, for last week. Last week we were talking about uh, the Bible speaking about how, that Jesus or that God hath chosen us in him. And our, our main focus was us in him. And I'll try not to be too long in doing this. Seriously, I'm not. But our, our key focus last week was us in him. And what that particularly spoke of or to was then the church, us in him, the church. And with that being said, we looked at the common idea of a doctrine called the, doc, the doctrine of, of uh, election. Uh, that is just, just totally, totally wrong. And we spoke about five things. Maybe some people can remember what some of those were. 
Number one was foreknowledge. Isn't that right? Can someone tell me what number two was? Great, you remembered. Pre- <laughs> predestination. Anybody know what number three was? Wonderful, called. So I heard someone, someone was on it. Number four was, we didn't talk much about these, but they are still, still there. Justified. Anybody know about number five? That's right. Glorified. Go through deducement. We spoke about foreknowledge. If you remember, foreknowledge is concerning, foreknowledge concerns the whom. The whom. And whenever we spoke of in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, the whom is plural. So we're not talking about one person or individual. It's about a group of people, namely the church. The church. He has a foreknowledge concerning his church. God from the very beginning knew he would have a church. His foreknowledge is concerning the church. Predestination is concerning the purpose. The purpose. He had a purpose for the whom. He predestined the church for a plan and a purpose. Predestination isn't ever about an individual. We spoke about that Calvin idea that some people think that this one's destined to hell and that one's destined to heaven. There's nothing they can do within their power to change it. Incorrect. Predestination isn't for a person. It's for a purpose. And the purpose is for the church who he has foreknowledge of. All right. So and then we talk about the called. The call, the call is not made to an individual. The call is made to everybody. As in John 7, whosoever will, let him come. The call is for everybody. And those that accept the call then become the chosen. That Ephesians spoke of in Ephesians 1, that he had chosen them, uh, us in him. He had chosen us in him. He had chosen uh, the church. Amen. And then justified was that then he makes us righteous and glorified. Or glorification is still yet something to take place. Because glorification will take upon the great rapture day. That these old bodies turn from mortal to immortality, from corruptible to incorruptible, and we are glorified. Remember the scripture I couldn't remember in 1 John that we had wrong on the screen? Amen. We will be as he is. Glorification will take that place. So that's, that's some unfinished business. That's some unfinished business that is still yet to take place. So that very quickly, all right, get you a little bit up to speed about what all we talked about a little further detail last week. But we ended with Paul talking about, he was talking about these riches of the Ephesian, uh, the Ephesian community, it being a big hub trade center, their temple of Diana with people bringing in their goods and storing it in behind the shrine. And uh, now that that shrine, they was no longer going to worship, you know, it hurt their economy. Their economy is on a plummet. And we was talking about how Paul was relaying to them not necessarily material riches, but riches in Christ, how they need to glorify God and consider the riches that are in Christ. And so we're going to continue with that tonight, uh, considering some of the fringe benefits of being in the church. Some of the fringe benefits of us in him, so to speak, because we do have some riches, some benefits. Even the Old Testament uh, spoke of, David spoke of, I believe it is the Psalms 103. He, he starts out that Psalm, bless uh, the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And he starts talking about how the Lord forgave us of sins and how the Lord redeemed us and how he has healed us uh, from sickness and disease. So there are some benefits about being in the church. There are, there are about five things I'm going to try to hit on tonight. Uh, perhaps before we're said and done. But if you'll notice in the scripture setting which we read tonight, there is a repetitive phrase that takes place in the scriptures that we particularly read this evening. And that phrase is this, in whom? In whom? In whom? Speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom? There are some benefits of being in Christ, namely five. Here are some of the benefits, amen, that's from Jesus Christ or being a part of the church one of those benefits, and we'll talk about them in detail, is redemption. That is, I can't spell, that is, wow, this board is clean now. Thank you, Sister McGee, yeah. Redemption, that is a benefit, amen, of being in the church. A number two item is forgiveness. How many are thankful for forgiveness? Forgiveness is a benefit. Number three is inheritance. Everybody likes inheritance, right? I know they do because whenever the state comes up, people will argue and fight and everything else. 
when it comes to inheritance time. Uh, number four, let me check here, is what was known as trust, or we might even call that hope, is another benefit. Number five, lastly then, like my mind's not clicking here tonight, is the benefit of being sealed. Benefit of being sealed. Number one, though, and I'm going to spend quite a bit of time right there because that's a great benefit for you and I. Amen. Redemption. Being in Jesus Christ, being in the church, we have redemption, the Scripture says, through His blood. Then it says the forgiveness of sins. And so within that solitary verse, there are just a couple of things that are right there. Oops, I erased it. And that's redemption and forgiveness of sins. Now, He has redeemed us. And to redeem basically means this, to purchase and set free by paying a price. To purchase and to set free by paying a price. And this was a term that people of their day, the Ephesians in particular, was very much so aware of concerning their day. Being under the Roman Empire, they say at that time there was about six million slaves. So they understood what the meaning of redemption was in order to pay a price or to purchase, to set someone free for paying a price. Men could purchase a slave for the purpose of their own use. They could purchase a slave to put to work uh, in their own household. But there were other times as they were parading the the slaves in the city that uh, Joe over here might know one of those guys that's walking in that slave parade. He might know him. And his heart just being so overwhelmed with having knowledge of him, knowing him, past history with him, he would go and pay the purchase price for him, not for the purpose of putting him in his own household to work, but for the purpose of setting him free. So he would go along and he would pay a purchase price to redeem him, to set that individual free. I'm going to go back just a little bit while we're talking about this idea of redemption so we can understand how important, how great of a benefit that is. You will remember anybody that you may not, you didn't remember some of these things from last week, but uh, you will remember uh, if you were at the uh, service at the EMU whenever uh, we did Easter service there and plus years ago, there was a sermon that I preached called The True Cost of Redemption. The True Cost of Redemption. And it all comes from Exodus 13, uh, verses 12 and 13. And basically the whole idea of the true cost of redemption uh, is this, is that the Lord, everything belongs into God. Everything. It all belongs to the Lord. Simply, number one, because he's the creator of all things. So it belongs to him simply by the fact he's the creator. You know, if you created it, it's yours. So all things belong to the Lord. But he gave a statement in the scripture, and you can look at it for yourself, that he would, all these things belong to him, and as a result of that, that the firstborn was his. The, fir- the first, oops, the first, I'll get it all in there in a bit. The firstborn was his. The firstborn was his. As a result of that, that meant the firstborn of males or the firstborn of beast. It all belonged unto the Lord. But the problem is this. The male had to be redeemed, he said, And concerning beasts, we have two different classifications under that. We have clean beast and we have unclean beast. Two different classifications. Now, God says, these things are mine. They belong to me. The firstborn belongs to me. And so the male firstborn, it belongs to me. It has to be redeemed. It has to be redeemed, the firstborn. He said, also the beasts, they belong to me. The clean beast, it belongs to me. Unclean. Yeah, it belongs to me, but in order for it to belong to me, it's got to again be redeemed. It's got to be redeemed. Now, here's the thing. The only way that the unclean beast could be redeemed is by taking a clean beast right here, and it had to be sacrificed. Sacrificed. So whenever the clean is sacrificed, whenever the clean is sacrificed, the unclean is redeemed for the Lord Jesus Christ. The males at that particular time were redeemed by money. They were redeemed by money. And so we have this idea that is being set in Scripture. It's very clear. In order for the unclean to be redeemed, to be the Lord's, there has to be a sacrifice of the clean. And with that being said, that points all the way, fast forward, this is Old Testament back here, but that points fast forward all the way to the New Testament. 
in speaking about Jesus. I'm just going to put JC for simple. Amen. Jesus Christ, all the way to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse number 7, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what were we? We were unclean. We were defiled. We were tainted. While we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died. Look at this right here. He died for us. And whenever something dies for the unclean, you know what that happens to it? Redeems it. Redeems it. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died for you and I, and as a result of that, it redeemed it. Amen. He died. We might even take that to a broader spectrum. He died, if you will, for the church. It was through his blood, the Bible says, that redemption came. Acts 20, 28, in speaking of the church, said that he hath purchased with his own blood. Purchased the, the church with his blood. Well, what is that then? That, that then underscores the importance of us in him, of the benefit of being in the church, because he purchased the church with his blood. And since he purchased the church with his blood, then the church is capable of being redeemed. In that purpose, in that plan of God, it's capable of being redeemed. And yet, going back then to the Old Testament time, they were redeemed by money. But Peter said, hey, he said, you all today, he said, you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold or money of that stuff. He said, but with what? With the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish, amen, and without spot. That's 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20. He said, who was verily foreordained when? Before the foundation, again, there we are again, of the world. Why was it foreordained before the foundation of the world? Because God, from the beginning, knew he would have a church the plan of the church was to redeem the church. And since he already had that plan, he already had the answer to the, to, to, to the problem, so to speak. He already had the answer right from the foundation of the world. He had a way. It was manifest in the last times for you and I that we could be sanctified, set apart unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the, one of the privileges of being in the church or part of the church is that the church is redeemed. That's for the church. Now, Whenever we consider this, we think of the scripture, that this back to this JC, this Jesus Christ. How could he possibly do that? Well, he did satisfy the bill of being clean. Peter said, in him was no sin. The Bible says, in him was no sin. As a matter of fact, if we go a step further, we, we talk just very simply in the very first lesson uh, between Ephesians and Colossians, how there are uh, some correlations between the two. And a parallel passage for verse number 7, Ephesians, would probably be Colossians 1.14. And it's likewise speaking, in whom we have redemption uh, through his blood. And it says, even the forgiveness of sins. So there is redemption in Jesus Christ, and there's forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. It all takes place in him. Now, again, this, these, these things, you know, God is just so awesome because oftentimes in the Old Testament, he set forth a shadow or some measure or ceremony or thing in the Old Testament that would come to full fruition and substance in the New Testament. We see that time and time again. We see it with the tabernacle plan. We see with some of the role of the priesthood, all these things that took place in the Old Testament that come, come to be apparent in, in, in the New Testament, from the Old to the New. And with that being said, in the Old Testament, there was a day called atonement, the day of atonement that you may have heard of before. And that priest, that high priest would go into the holies of holies with blood and with sacrifices. On that day of atonement, though, again, we're just pointing uh, to a New Testament thing. On that day of atonement, Aaron, the high priest, was to take two kids of goats. You got two goats, all right? Gee, there's a goat, there's a goat. He had two goats. And what do you do? He'd come in, he would cast a lot. It was going to be ordained by God. And one of the goats... One of the goats was going to be sacrificed, S. The other goat was going to stay alive and would become the scapegoat. All right? In Old Testament scripture, it's going to become a scapegoat. The one that was to be the sacrifice, it was killed, of course. It was offered unto the Lord. And guess what happens when you sacrifice something? You kill something. Blood is shed. Amen. Blood is shed. So from the sacrifice, I know I'm abbreviating now, from the sacrifice then comes the blood, all right, from this goat. From this goat right here, the scapegoat, what would happen, that high priest Aaron would go to that scapegoat. Can you be my goat? Eh. 
<laughs> Nay. <laughs> and he would lay his hands. Woo, hallelujah. He'd lay his hands on that goat. And he would begin to confess over that goat all the sins of Israel. The congregation, their transgressions and their iniquities. And then whenever he got done, he'd say he'd take a, have a fit man come and take that goat off into the wilderness. So we have one goat who is sacrificed and given blood, another goat who is becoming nothing more but a scapegoat that all the sins and the transgressions of the people are put upon that goat. I like to call it this, just for our sake tonight. I like to call this the redemption goat. <laughs> the redemption goat. I like to call this the forgiveness goat. Since redemption takes the blood, redemption takes the blood. I call it the redemption goat because it was sacrificed and through its sacrifice, blood was shed and redemption comes to the blood. But the scapegoat is the forgiveness goat because it's a living goat that carried away all the sins and the transgressions and iniquities that was spoken over of the whole congregation, the nation of Israel. It was taking their sins away from them. Forgiveness. That's in essence what forgiveness is. Your sins are being taken away from you. And it's all summed up though. It's all summed up in once again right over here, Jesus Christ. Both of these point toward him. The scapegoat and the redemption goat as I'm calling it. Because with the redemption goat in New Testament scripture you can look at Matthew uh, 121, whenever it's speaking of Jesus Christ, I'll read it for you. The Bible says, and she, speaking of Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, everybody? Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The, the, the whole idea of Jesus in this scripture is being the redeemer. He's saving what? People. All right? But as, as the scapegoat, as forgiveness, Jesus Christ, John 1, 29 is your reference for that. The Bible says, here's John. He's in the water. He's been baptizing people. Jesus Christ is walking along. And he seeth Jesus, the Bible says, coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, in that episode of John 1 29 he's taking away he's taking away what sin so as as the redemptive goat he's redeeming he's saving people as the forgiveness goat if you will he's taking away their sin all expressed in Jesus Christ of the New Testament scripture redemption saves people and forgiveness takes away your sin amen between the two. But don't you know that redemption, although the act of sacrifice has been done, you got to readily receive that act of sacrifice. The story was this. The year was 1829. A man by the name of George Wilson had been arrested, tried and convicted of murder and theft through the mail. Because his family was well known, when he was sent to prison, his family made an appeal after an appeal to the courts. Eventually, the appeals reached the desk of President Andrew Jackson. After he viewed the files, and because he knew the family and their background for their account, he offered not just clemency, but a pardon to George Wilson. They took the news into the prison. George Wilson refused the pardon. He said he didn't want it because he was guilty and deserved to die. They told him he couldn't say no to it because it was a presidential pardon. But he said he could and was, was saying no to it. This is a true story, by the way. He refused the pardon. And so this set forth a very big legal battle because nobody in, in, in history had raised the question with this type of scenario of getting a presidential pardon and not receiving it. And evidently it worked its way up into the Supreme Court and the decision came down from the Chief Justice at that time who was John Marshall who said this. He said, a pardon is of no effect until it is accepted by the one for whom it is intended. Though it is almost inconceivable that a condemned criminal would refuse a pardon, if he does refuse it, 
The pardon is of no effect. George Wilson must die. And he died because he wouldn't accept the pardon that was readily available and accessible, but he just wouldn't receive it. So when we talk about that there is redemption through his blood, yes, the, the act of sacrifice makes that blood accessible. Makes that blood available for whosoever will. But we of our own volition and choice has to go and make available, not available, but go and make ourselves, amen, getting a hold of, grabbing a hold of, getting grasping the blood of Jesus Christ. It's available for whosoever will. But we got to take the initiative, amen, to apply the blood, sprinkle the blood, bathe ourselves in the blood, amen. So redemption is more than just the act that was done. He did his part, now we got to do our part. Amen. That's the blessing of being in the... You just don't get in the church just because Jesus died. You get in the church because you took whatever he did on that cross and you applied it to your own life. You took the death and the burial and the resurrection that he did on that cross and you apply it to your own life by a death and a burial and a resurrection. It's through that that you become a part of the church. Amen. And even in this Old Testament time with the goat per se, and not per se, absolutely, the sacrificial goat there in Leviticus, whenever he had that blood that come from that sacrificial goat, you know what the next step that Aaron did? He went into the holies of holies, and you know what he was doing? Sprinkling blood. Anytime you see a sacrifice in Old Testament Scripture, whenever they sacrificed it at the altar, you know what didn't go undone? Going into the holies of holies and sprinkling the blood applying the blood because blood that's shed is shed for the purpose of being applied Whew. because if blood isn't applied then the blood was shed in vain uh-huh and god christ didn't die in vain he died the people would take the blood that was shed and that it would be applied to their lives. They would apply it to their lives. And remember this, and I know perhaps maybe I've mentioned this before. People, you know, the great thing about humanity is that we forget. So that allows me to say something twice maybe without you remembering. <laughs> but uh, if you'll remember in the book of Revelation, you can look at Revelation 7. Uh, we don't have our screen, but I'm not writing it down. I think it's 7.14. John, who was barbed to the all called Patmos, has just relayed to you and I that he has beheld, he has seen a great multitude that no man can number, of every kindred, of every tongue, nation of people. Bible says that he sees these people they have on white robes, white robes. And they're saying, salvation unto our God. And one of the elders say unto John, he's asking John a question. He just wanting to make John think. He's not wanting John to really answer, just kind of rhetorical, but he's wanting John to think. One of the elders saying to John, who are these in the white robes? Well, where did they come from? The elder knew the answer, just wanting to make John think. And the Bible says in Revelation 7, 14, and I said unto him, sir, thou knowest, this is John saying, sir, you know, you know who these people are. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't ask the question if I didn't. And he said unto me, he said, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white, how? In the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> they made them garments white. They washed them in the blood of the Lamb. But notice, who's doing the washing? I know the agent is the blood, but the people that's applying the blood are those who are now standing in white garments and white robes. Didn't say God was washing them. No, 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 no. He made the blood available for them in the basin, so to speak, but it was up to them what? Applied the blood. Applied the blood. And now they are those who are standing there in white robes that are many nations, hundred, and what is it talking about? Those that are the church. Those that are in Christ the Lord. Amen. And if you, you know, God's always working in a forward direction. Always working in a forward direction. So we understand some of the benefits of being the church's redemption, forgiveness. God saves the people and he takes away their sin. 
I'm think, I would hate to say that he saved me and then left me with my sin problem. You know, saved me from my bondage, but then I still got a history <laughs> that I can look back and, Ugh. it doesn't make me feel too good about my present. But you know today that if you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and you've received forgiveness of sins, where you're standing right now in God, you have understanding that you've done things in your past, but whenever God looks over your shoulder, it's blank. Scripture tells us if we confess our sins to him, he is just and faithful to forgive us of them all. So if you can see those things, you see something God can't even see. Amen. So number three item, and this seems to follow suit, is inheritance, another benefit of being in the church, inheritance. And it seems to be the progression of Scripture. What happens whenever God delivers the children of Israel from their Egyptian bondage? It's after being delivered from them, he's trying to take them to their inheritance, the land of promise. And so one of the benefits of being in the church, the Scripture says, here is that language again, in whom, verse 11, in whom also, my phone died, so we'll just end whenever I feel like it, in whom also... No, you should charge that thing during the day. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. Look at, look at those words there, if you will. Have obtained. Can any of our English scholars that are here tonight tell me what tense that is in? Brother Mason says past tense. Pardon me? Yeah. Past tense, it is. It says, in whom we have obtained, as though we already obtained it. Past tense. Again, this is just not, you know, every day, you know, the Bible's going to say this, but doing some reading and studying, the Greeks, this being written in Greek, the Greeks, whenever they wanted to say something in the future that was so sure that it seemingly couldn't be changed, they said it in past tense. In other words, when they wanted to say something so secure and so definite for the future about what God was going to do, they said it as though it already happened. <laughs> so they were saying, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. They were talking about an inheritance that they were so sure of was going to take place and happen that they were talking about as though it was already done. Because the inheritance, again, and I think we need to understand this as we're going through these in whom's, we're talking about an inheritance that belongs, again, to the church. God's predestined plan for the church is so that they might have an inheritance. But God's plan is so sure for the church. God's plan is so concrete for the church that they relate in Scripture as though it's something that is already completely done, signed, sealed, and delivered because it's so certain about the destiny of the church. Again, we're not talking about an individual. We're talking about the church. So we're not talking about, well, we're so sure about the inheritance that an individual is going to be, get. We're going to talk as though it's already done. No, no, no. We're talking about a group of people, the church. If you make a choice to be a part of the church, okay, yeah, inheritance as though it's already done. But if you don't, no promises. If you're in and out, in and out, in and wherever you land when rapture day comes. <laughs> the promise is for the church. That's the reason it is a benefit of the church, the inheritance. It's not per se a benefit of an individual. It is if that individual is a part of the church. Amen. So that's... <laughs> That's the reason why I think it's vitally important then to be a part of the church. And I'm not talking about these four walls and carpet and things like that. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Amen. Being the body of Christ, you're part of the church. Man, you got such a certain inheritance if you're part of the church. He's talking about it as though it's already finished and done. I like when someone talks about that. You know, when they say they're going to buy something off you, man, I got the money right here. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we like a sure word like that. All right, come on over. I got the title ready for you. Let's go and roll. Go to the bank. <laughs> so the, again, the inheritance is for the church. Amen. Paul said in verse number 13, 
Paul said, look, 13 and 14 really, that the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14, which is the earnest of our, there's the word again, inheritance. The Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Anybody ever come across that word earnest before in your life? Especially whenever you're talking about maybe transactions, buying a house maybe? Anybody ever heard of that term? What have you heard? What have you heard? Earnest money? Earnest money. Can anybody give me a simple little basic definition, maybe what earnest money is? Right, so just like, a, just like a pledge, like a part and parcel of the whole type of thing, yeah. earnest money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. And you know what? Earnest in Paul's day really didn't veer off very much different than the way that we perceive earnest is in our day. It was basically that down payment, so to speak, in Paul's day as it was as it is in our day, a guarantee for the final purchase of something, final purchase of a piece of property or a commodity. Uh, interestingly enough, Ernest and Paul's day also meant this, engagement ring. You're not married yet, but you got a promise for marriage. So he says it's the earnest of our inheritance. So the, what that tells me, though, then, my full-blown inheritance is not yet quite here. I do have an inheritance that I'm still waiting on. The book of Revelations talks a lot about it. It's called heaven. It's called heaven. Our inheritance is called heaven. We'll see that even in Scripture. Heaven. But he says the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit of promise is the down payment to our inheritance. If I can show it like this, in my drawing, heaven, the pie in the sky. <laughs> heaven, the pie in the sky, folks. We're missing something. The pie in the sky, earnest is over here, is a piece of the pie. Earnest is just a part of the full-blown inheritance. The Holy Ghost. How many times have you said, tell you what, we'll be feeling around here tonight's just been a little piece of... <laughs> it's the earnest, if you will, of our inheritance. But you know what's so glorious about that, though? They already told us in those previous scriptures, and even what you experience in the Holy Ghost, folks, you know this with surety, that if we stay in the church, this is so secure, so real, so determined for the church that we can, what do we do sometimes? We talk about as though we already got heaven. Uh-huh. We already talking about, I tell you what, I can't wait till there's no more pain. What are you saying? I'm going to be in heaven. I can't wait till there's no more tears. What are we saying? I'm going to be in heaven. I can't wait till that back don't ache no more. It's going to be great to be able to eat from the 12 different manners of fruit that grow on one tree. What are you saying? I'm going to heaven. How can you do that? Because I got the Holy Ghost, which is a piece of it, but I'm in the church. And that line is so secure, so steadfast and definite, I can talk about heaven as though it's already mine. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the reason sometimes you can hold the hand of a dear saint that's departing. They got tears in their eyes. And you know what? Sometimes coming from their lips, they're already talking about heaven they're talking about their home how in the world can you be so sure because i'm in the church how do you know you're in the church because whatever i i applied the blood amen that was the death burial and resurrection that jesus had in my own life that made me a part of the church signed sealed delivered amen so heaven is is the culmination if you will it's 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 all the payment being there in the end. It is the earnest. Our Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. And note what the Bible says in verse 14, until the redemption of the purchased possession. 
and to the praise of His glory. So, we have a little piece of heaven. And, and let me, I want to, to reveal that this is our inheritance just for scripture reference. First Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, uh, Peter writing, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. We get out all the little adjectives that are being thrown around there. We could break it down to this. To an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Amen. So we're redeemed from slavery, slavery of sin. And the reason why it speaks of until the redemption of the purchased possession is that although we can be redeemed upon this earth through his blood, and by taking the same act of what he went through, the death, burial, and resurrection, we can have redemption by applying that. The redemption is not totally complete for you and I till we reach heaven. Because what happens? I've done all this stuff, been taken out of slavery of sin. He's taking away of those sins of my past. But you know what I deal with every day? Still have my flesh to deal with. Still have that. Adamic nature of sin, constantly combating. Sometimes the desires, my own desires of my flesh is trying to take me back to sin. So I'm constantly in this. Paul spoke of there is a war in his members. The spirit against the flesh. The flesh against the spirit. So I'm not totally delivered. Right? I'm not totally redeemed. But whenever rapture day comes, full redemption plan takes place. Full redemption plan. Because I ain't going to have to worry about battling around with that flesh anymore. I got a new body. (laughs) I ain't going to have to worry about some of these other uh, headaches and heartaches in life. It's it's redeemed. It's all taken care of the day that we meet uh, heaven as our home. Amen. How do we know heaven is our redemption? Because a good scripture that probably a lot of people are reading right now in Luke 21 and 28, when it talks about the end of time and all the calamity that's going to come up on the world, he says, and when these things begin to come to pass... He said, then look up and lift up your heads. Why? Your redemption. (laughs) Your redemption draw nigh. What redemption? Heaven. Heaven's drawn nigh. The full salvation plan, the completion of all things has taken place. Look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. Amen. I'm just going to touch on this next one just very carefully, and I I won't hold you much longer. I'm trying to, it's 8.03. You that weren't here last week, God love you. You got out an hour or so but Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 23 if you have your Bibles you can turn there or you can look at a blank wall (laughs) something else that Paul wrote of one of the benefits of the church is he said in whom in verse 13 he said in whom ye also trusted or I interpose in whom ye also hoped after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In Colossians 1.23, this is uh, the rendering of the scripture. It says, if ye continue, everyone say continue, in the faith, grounded and settled. Those are good words. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I am, I, Paul, am made a minister. These people trusted or they received a hope after they heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What it was, these people had heard the gospel message, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. And from hearing the gospel message, what that did was gave them hope. Gave them hope of a change. Gave them hope of a life without sin. It gave them a hope. And you only have that, though. You only have that true hope if you have applied that blood. You only have that true hope if you've walked through there and you've become a part of the church. And so one of the blessings then of being in the church is having that hope. 
that reassurance, that gospel message, if you will. Now notice though, again, I, I know I'm hitting hard against this, but this is a common idea of the society and the world in which we live, that you get in the church and you're always in the church. Wrong. By the same notion that you make a choice to get in. I've seen several make a choice to get out. That's the reason why the apostle tells them, if, the big word, we need to make it big, if ye continue. This is not, I repent of my sins. I get baptized in Jesus' name. I have the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Here's my ticket. We're good to go. If you continue, amen. If you're a Paul, maybe that dies daily. Uh huh. If your speaking in tongues episode wasn't just the night you got the Holy Ghost, I dare to say there's people in the church, maybe even sitting right under the sound of my voice. It's been a while since you spoke in tongues. You, you need to find that place of prayer again. You need to continue in the faith grounded uh huh settled and you heard the old terminology let's settle some issues well, what's that mean we're not leaving anything dangling behind we're going to get this thing complete done finished there's some people that's in the church that need to settle some issues concerning their relationship with God I'm starting to feel the Holy Ghost a little bit. We need to settle some things in the church. We need to ground some things in the church. Amen. The Lord brought the children of Israel through the wilderness, and yeah, they were intense going here and there and having to uproot and pitch and encamp. But when they got to the promised land, he wanted them to have a place of permanence. He wanted them to have a place where they could settle. Amen. The days are over of, uh, of staying for a little while, uprooting and going, staying for a little while, uprooting and going. No, 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 those days are over. But we still somehow adopt that mentality in the church. Amen. We need to get settled, rooted, and grounded. He said, be not moved away. Why do you think the apostle would give this big F, if word before all this? and says, if you continue, if once you got in the church, you didn't have to worry about anything else. Why would he say that? Why would he say, be rooted and grounded, all that stuff? Why would he say, and be not moved why would he say be not moved away if you couldn't be moved away? Huh? Why would he say that? He wouldn't. He said be not moved away because he said, un undoubtedly had a knowledge that you and I hopefully have tonight that you can be moved away. That there can be things in your life that somehow get in there and somehow become a, a schism and a division between you and your God. And things start arising again, sin, things that are contrary to God's word that do what? Separate you from your maker and your master again. But if you're in the church, you have hope. Guess what the inverse of that if you're not in the church? The only hope we have is through Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of truth, the gospel message. So it put a hope inside of the believers, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lastly, number five. Number five was this. He said, in whom, in whom also ye are sealed. In whom also ye are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What was, I mean, we, this is a general question, but what was that Holy Spirit of promise? We call it the Holy Ghost. Other people call it the Holy Spirit. There's both terminology in Scripture. Amen. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost that Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 24, 1 John 3, 24, the Bible says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us that goes all the way back folks 
to the book of Acts. And we use this oftentimes in Acts 2. I think maybe verse 4. The Bible speaks about them receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues as the Spirit. Spirit gave them utterance. 1 John 3.24 is just another scripture that harmonizes with that. That hereby we know that he abideth in us is because by the Spirit which he gave us. That's how we know that he abideth in us. The Spirit gives the utterance. Now, back concerning this sealed deal here. In the old times, and you could go a lot of different ways, but I'm just going to go one. In the old times in the ancient world, they said that whenever a sack or a crate or a package or something was dispatched, that it was sealed with a seal. In order to do a couple of things. Number one, to guarantee that it came from the sender. Number two, that it was intact, that it was what it should be. And number three, the seal denoted, again, this is kind of redundant, but the seal denoted where the package came from and to whom it belonged. The Holy Ghost that we receive, that it is the seal, it is the seal, the Bible says, the seal with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with that. Whenever you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is a stamp and a seal upon you that says, hey, this right here belongs to this individual, the Lord. This right here belongs to the Lord. This, 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 this package came from him. It belongs to him. And everything's intact. Everything's in good order. Everything is in good standing. Uh, for that matter, if we go to the days of kings and their seals, they put their signet in hot wax. The king's not going to put his seal on something he don't approve of unless he's been taken advantage of. Like as Hazarus was with, Morty, uh, with, with uh, Haman by, by chance. But he's normally not going to put a seal on something that he doesn't approve of. And so whenever the seal's there, there's an approval that's there. Amen. And so as long as we have the Spirit of God and that's uh, vibrant in our lives, we have God's seal of approval on our lives. But whenever we act in such a way that light doesn't comprehend with darkness and he's not going to compete with idol gods in our life, his spirit will leave. Why? Because he's no longer approving us. Amen. No longer approving us. I'll sum up with this and be done. In summary, thus far, what we see in Ephesians is this. In last week, we understood that God planned the church's redemption. This week, we understand that God, through Christ, purchased the church's redemption. And just now, we understand that God in us seals the totality of that redemption. If you'll stand with me today, we're redeemed through His blood. So there are benefits to being a part of the church. There's benefits to being part of the body of Christ. And maybe some people don't realize really the greatness of those benefits until maybe they leave it. They cast it aside. Then their mind may run fast forward concerning the benefits that's being a part of the Lord. If we can just bow our heads and close our eyes in here this evening. If you can help me tonight, we just pray collectively. And I'll let you be dismissed. Lord, we come to you this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.